Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. There's never been a more exciting time to leverage customer insight, technology, and an innovation culture to drive improved customer experiences in banking. More importantly, how does one of the largest financial institutions in the world combine strategy and execution at a time of massive industry disruption? Chase is at the forefront of emerging technologies in retail banking and the use of these technologies to accelerate product development. The question is, is whether size and scale provides an advantage or a challenge to overcome. We are fortunate today to have Rohan Amin, Chief Product Officer, and Gil Haas, Chief Information Officer at Chase on the show. They discuss the acceleration of change that has occurred in the past two years and the way Chase is addressing the change in the marketplace. So welcome to the show, Rohan Gill. Before we start, could you provide our listeners just a short background of your careers and your roles at Chase? Rohan, why don't we start with you? Thanks so much, Jim. Uh, glad to be here. And so uh, I've been at the bank for seven years. Uh, I've had a variety of different roles here. I've been the Global Chief Information Security Officer uh, for the bank globally. Um, I have led tech uh, for Chase and now in a new role as the uh, Chief Product Officer uh, for Chase, responsible for product design, uh, data and analytics, and customer experience uh, for, for Chase. And you actually came from Lockheed Martin, didn't you, in the cybersecurity area? Uh, I was at Lockheed Martin uh, for almost 12, 13 years um, you know, before I joined the uh, before I joined the bank. And I was so defense and intelligence community work, um, did everything from uh, cybersecurity, information technology, electronic warfare, and a whole bunch of other stuff I can't really talk about. <laughs> okay. And Gil, how about you? Yes, I have to go after that one. So uh, I have been at Chase now a little under two years. So it's almost two years. So I um, got to join right before the pandemic and see what life was like before that. Um, I was um, the head of digital technology here at Chase until September of last year, where I became the CIO for Chase. Um, but I did, for my first uh, 16 months, work for uh, Rohan. And, and you were previously at Capital One AOL and PayPal, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, so Capital One for about five years. Um, but yes, also AOL and PayPal. And also Taxi Magic, which is now called Curb. Uh, for those that are in the city, they'll see that, which is the little green logo there for a little while as well. So we, we probably should start by talking about the impact of the pandemic. We thought we wouldn't have to talk about this at the beginning of a lot of our podcasts, but this thing is not going away. So what has been the impact on both the technology side as well as the customer experience initiatives that are done within product and, and development? I'll kick it off, um, uh, Jim, on that one. Uh, and so clearly, you know, a lot has changed over the past um, couple of years, uh, you know, and, and sadly, that were fact that we're talking about this, that was past couple of years of, of, of pandemic. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, you know, we had to be there for our customers when they needed us the most um, during that time. And so there was a lot that was going on, everything from the PPP program to help small businesses, uh, to making sure that customers were able to get their economic uh, stimulus checks. Uh, on time and effectively, uh, there was just a lot that was happening, very busy, and teams worked around the clock uh, to make sure that we were there for uh, for our customers, financial assistance, and a whole raft of other things that we had to uh, make sure that we had ready. And we exposed a lot of that capability uh, through digital means so that customers could take advantage of that um, through the mobile app in, in an easy way. 
Um, so that was sort of like front and center, you know, what was happening over the past two years. What we've also noticed is that there's just been a, I mean, we were already on a digital, you know, path and digitization of, of the bank. What we saw is just even further acceleration of that uh, over the past um, couple of years. More customers, you know, using uh, Chase Mobile and Chase Online, more customers depositing checks, you know, through uh, through the mobile app as opposed to going to the branch or using the ATM. And so more customers applying in, uh, for mortgages, you know, digitally as opposed to using paper. And so like all of those trends, um, you know, we saw, you know, very strong uh, progress over the past couple of years. And we think those shifts recommend uh, sort of uh, are permanent shifts, if you will, in customer preferences for how they want to uh, to, to bank with us. So those are just a, a few things that have, have uh, changed over the past couple of years. And, and Gil, how about from your perspective, as far as the technology changes, has there anything that, I mean, obviously we're, we're speeding up the process of digital transformation, but what else has gone on at, at Chase? Yeah, one you just hit on, and it's a little bit to what Rohan said, it really accelerated our agenda because making sure that the functionality that customers want in their hand on a mobile app or on a web, this is something that we've been working on for quite some time, but the pandemic made it all that more critical because people either wouldn't or couldn't go to branches. Also, this impacted our contact centers, which meant wait times on calls were longer. So we wanted to make sure that the services that we wanted to provide digitally were able to do that more, more, uh, more quickly. What it did, though, is it really exposed a couple other things, too. The modernization work that we had been doing in the organization, which allowed us to release software more quickly, we had started doing that work well before the pandemic. But because of that, we were able to respond very quickly. For example, we mentioned the Paycheck Protection Program. We had to respond in days, not in weeks, not in months, to build software. We could build, test, and deploy that to our customers immediately. And that meant that not only were we doing the right thing for our customers, but for our engineers, our product teams, et cetera, that was also exciting because we're in the business of building products, features, and services, and we want to see that actually happen. And we could get software out to our customers. And that was the other part that I thought, at least for me, took away that was really incredible is money is really at the center of what makes the world work. And so our customers really depend on us, particularly during a pandemic. Because of that work, because of the shifts that Rohan talked about, we could be there. And if you think about a purpose-driven culture, people got a ton of energy out of doing this work, even though there were some late hours and weekends, et cetera, at times, but they got a ton of energy out of delivering for our customers because we were able to do really meaningful work for them. So sticking with you, Gil, you know, Chase is a huge organization. Actually, I think you have a massive number of people that work for you. How do you work with other business units within Chase to make sure that the development of technology and the deployment of technology is uniform? Because I know there's there's silos. There's silos in every financial institution, and I'm, I'm sure it's no different in Chase. How do you work to make sure that the left hand's talking to the right hand and, and all the different areas of the bank? Yes, you know, wonderful question. And it is it is a big team. It's um, my team alone in the 12,000 range. But if you think about product and tech and design and data, it's a rather large organization. One of the things that we uh, we did, and we started this again before pandemic, one of the things that we've done is we have aligned in an agile fashion. So as opposed to us being organized by business unit, we're organized around product and back. And why that matters is when you have, let's say, a feature such as you want to open an account, if every business unit has a team that's responsible for building that software, I have to coordinate across all of our business lines. And then you multiply that by the tech and the design and the product people that are sitting in those organizations. 
by organizing instead around one product, just one account opening, where you have one tech leader, one design leader, product, et cetera, now you have one place where you need to go. Now, of course, CEOs and other business leaders will have their perspective and opinion on what we want to build into that solution, but it makes it a lot easier for teams to prioritize the work, understand what the work is. It's a lot less frustrating for them to get things done. And those teams are also much closer to the customer what we're trying to deliver. So they're able to make decisions much more quickly without having to escalate that and bring in the thousands of people that are the organization. So that's one way uh, in which we work um, that has made a, a huge difference. The other part of it too is, and I mentioned modernization already, how we have modernized the way we build our software. When we build software and it's done in a manual way where one person writes the software, another person then takes it and tests it, Another person then goes and deploys it. It's a lot of coordination. And those people typically are on different teams. We've been working hard to automate that process. So our software delivery lifecycle, you can write, test, deploy, and manage the application in an automated fashion. What that means for an engineer is they don't have to talk to many other people in the organization. They can work when needed in an autonomous fashion. And that's how they're able to move. And we're able to move at, um, at speed, even though we have a large group. So, Rohan, from your perspective, in, in very much close to the same question, how do you work with different areas of the bank to not only determine what the product development needs are, but the prioritization of how you build different products and services throughout the organization? Yeah, and so just to extend a little bit on what um, Gil was talking about, Chase is structured into roughly 100 product teams. Um, and those product teams are organized, to Gil's point, not about our internal organization structure. They're organized around the, the customer value stream. The customer's journey is how we organize those teams. And so why that's really important is because those teams wake up every single day. And what they're focused on is improving a particular aspect of what the customer does in their interaction with us an account opening team, a team focused on payments, as an example. Uh, and so they own those customer journeys and they're thinking about them from front to back. And you've got product people, design people, technology people, and increasingly data and analytics people all working together on those you know, various uh, 100 different uh, areas that we have. The other thing that I think is really important um, you know, to this is design. You know, a big part of what we're trying to do is to have a design-led organization. And so, you know, to your question earlier, Jim, around how do we ensure there's some consistency and some uniformity to this is always we have to anchor ourselves in what makes sense for the customer and then work our way back from there. And that is a big part of what our design team does. Understand what's happening from a customer research standpoint. Understand what really motivates customers, how they feel, and then bring that to life in terms of the user experiences, the actual visuals that a customer will interact with, and how do we make sure that you know, we're solving their problems and they're walking away with the right feeling um, as a result of their interaction you know, with Chase? And that is a big part of, of the product development uh, uh, process. And so the inputs for, for all this stuff, you know, a lot of it, honestly, you know, Jim, as you can imagine, we pay attention to you know, the competitive landscape. We, we pay attention to what's happening in each of our businesses. Um, but a lot of it also is just coming straight from customers. Uh, and so we, we listen very clearly you know, to customer feedback. We embed that into our roadmaps. And the product teams that we have, the 100 product teams, they're empowered um, to actually understand their customer and determine the best roadmap to provide the greatest value you know, for those customers going forward. So that's a lot of where that, 
that input comes from. And then the prioritization piece, you know, to your last question, that is those product teams making those decisions. Uh, and so each of those product teams is, you know, looking at how much capacity they have. I've got this much engineering, you know, uh, capability. I've got this much design capability. Here's the feedback that I'm getting from customers. Here's the, you know, objectives and key results that we're trying to hit, you know, for Chase overall. And then I'm putting forth, you know, those initiatives and activities that I think yield the best uh, value for customers and for and for the firm. And those teams are empowered uh, to define those roadmaps, which I think is just a fantastic you know, opportunity for folks is to own your own destiny a little bit and, and drive that in the context of a lar much larger uh, chase. It's just a way we make the place feel a little bit smaller you know, to those teams that are working inside, obviously, which what is a, uh, a, a big firm. So, so we have an interesting dynamic here because in financial institutions, we always traditionally introduce things in, in quarters or annually. We made changes at, at Big changes that took a long time as opposed to small changes that can be implemented almost on an iterative basis. I was lucky enough right before the pandemic to visit WeBank in China, and they were running four parallel uh, cloud platforms in order to test things. And they went from product innovation uh, idea ideation to implementation in something around 14 days. And that that astounded me because I'm a legacy banker, and that just to to think that that could even happen. How do you at Chase try to implement things at at both scale and speed, Rohan, from your perspective on the product side? Yeah, that's a great great question, Jim. And there's a few things that I think are really just you know uh, fantastic. Which is yes, to your point, we are moving away from sort of like this annual thing or the quarterly thing, um, and many of our teams uh, these days largely to, due to um, some of the things that Gil was talking about in terms of our focus on automation, our focus on the engineering process, and the focus on, on, uh, on how we build quality software at pace and at scale. Um, we have teams which are delivering you know, new feature and functionality sort of like when they, when they can. Like, you know, they're making new releases on a daily or weekly basis because they can. Um, and so that is, is game-changing for sure. Um, but the way we go about doing that, the reason why we're able to do that is not only some of the things that you know Gil was uh, was talking about um, in terms of engineering automation and the rest of it, but it is also because of a, a platform thinking that we have, um, which is how do we make sure that we're building you know reusable components? How do we build platforms that can serve multiple purposes? And so, like when it's time for us to launch PPP, um, which we had to do during the pandemic, you know we went from zero to you know uh, billions of dollars of loans. Uh, rather, rather quickly because we had an existing, you know, platform that we we're able to leverage, existing toolkits, existing capabilities, and so for us to be able to pivot and respond and then adjust, you know, for the new use case was very quickly, very quick. And so, platform thinking, software, reusable toolkits, frameworks—these are all the things that we use to make sure that we're able to, you know, um, deliver more quickly for our customers. And so, some of the product teams that we have, some of those hundred teams, their job isn't necessarily the customer facing thing that the customer might see, but it's the platform enablement work that everybody else can leverage so that they are in fact faster. Um, and so like that discipline thinking is just a tool, the toolbox that we use to make sure that we're able to deliver at scale and, and at, at speed. So, so Gil, you know, we've, we've gone around the curve a little bit on talking about back office automation and transformation of the technology side. So, what are you doing at Chase to improve the back office efficiency, the the automation of the process? Because the reality is, you know, we talked about account opening a little bit. You can't get account opening 
at speed unless you fix what's going on in the back office. And a lot of organizations tend to try to automate what was there already as opposed to rebuild. How much emphasis right now is being put on rebuilding the back office? Yeah, getting our foundation or the fundamentals right is incredibly important. The way you described it for account opening matters. I'll true back to something that Rohan said though about having the roadmap autonomy and being customer led when it comes to our product teams. The reason why doing multi-year planning, et cetera, you need to do that. You should have a strategy, et cetera. But the reason why we do it in an agile fashion here is sometimes we don't necessarily know what we would need to build. So having our product teams really understand the customer, we may discover that this action that we are telling customers to do, this piece of data we need them to, to enter, or this flow we send them through, we don't need to do that at all. So in some cases, it's not back office automation. It's doing it correctly up front and streamlining it for the customer so we don't have to have the back office uh, event happening for our customers. And so that's one way that we look at it, which is making sure that we can do straight through processing. So service everything on our mobile or web, or even if you call, you can complete it in that particular session. So we do focus a lot of our effort in, in that way. But also, we are modernizing our, our back-end systems because uh, the, Rohan said this too, everything that we do, whether it's a shiny new mobile app or it is our, a deposit platform for our consumer bank, all this is running on core back-end technology. And modernizing that and building that in a platform way means that we're able to build those products, features, and services that we want when we know that it's time to build them versus having to have a large effort. So we spend a good deal of time prioritizing that work, rebuilding, modernizing. But at the same time, to, to your, your point of your question, there are places where we aren't able to do that work now. We're a big company, and so there will be some places where we know there's a manual task that we have to do. And so we will do automation, sometimes robotic process automation, so that we can free up our people to work on other things that are more value add while we wait until we have the time to go back and actually modernize and refactor that application. So we look at it through that lens, but always from a customer back, which is how are we going to make sure we're benefiting the customer when we take that action? You know, another angle on this, just on the back office, is that, you know, uh, we are tackling the back office, kind of like to be very clear. Uh, you know, some some places you might just sort of like have the digital veneer, if you will, and and you have something that looks nice, but then there might be some spaghetti back there. Um, and look, the reality is everyone has their share of spaghetti that they've got to go uh, deal with. Um, but we're being very clear around how we want to modernize, you know, the core of the bank. You know, we've been uh, actually public with, you know, the partnership that we have um, with a startup to actually reimagine the core um, of our banking capability and build that onto a cloud-native, you know, software platform that allows us to, you know, innovate. Uh, financial products with speed and at scale. And so those are the examples of us kind of like delving into the back, if you will, and then, you know, modernizing uh, those platforms so that they're also uh, digital and cloud native, in addition to the front end and the things that the customers, you know, uh, see every single day. Has that been the biggest challenge for Chase? I mean, really rethinking banking, because, you know, you, I, I'm sure just being a big fan of Chase and, and watching over the years, you're obviously building from what I'm going to call mobile first and not mobile only, but but by building from mobile, you're making the other platforms easier to work with. But is that the biggest challenge is to really take apart what has been the legacy of a financial institution forever with regard to the way products are built, the way to, to deliver the back office and to really almost start with a blank sheet of paper? You know, Jim, it's great. It's a, it's a good question. 
I, I wouldn't say it's the biggest challenge, but clearly it's a challenge that we have to, to work through. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're spot on, you're talking about years of things that have been built, you know, over a period of time. Uh, and we are super committed, you know, to how we modernize that plant and how it's um, able to be uh, a platform that we're able to innovate on and build new products and services more rapidly. But as you can imagine, it's a multi-year uh, journey. But that's actually one of the reasons why I just love working here, um, which is that the intellectual challenge of being able to take a storied institution such as ours, um, and it's going through an incredible journey with regards to modernization, incredible transformation of how we bring new product you know, to market for customers and being part of that journey at the scale that we have with 58 million customers on the platform, active digital customers on the platform, like where else do you go to have that kind of impact, you know, on people in a very personal way, like their money. Uh, and so, yes, there's a lot of work to do. Um, there's a lot of, you know, heritage here. Uh, and, uh, but that to me is also, I treat that as sort of like a, uh, a gr great intellectual challenge and a great opportunity um, as well for people's personal growth and development. So Rohan, sticking with you for a second here, you know, we talked about the legacy and, and the way that Chase had been built. You know, you, you obviously are emphasizing the digital delivery, but you're still building branches. And probably of all the big banks in the country, you're probably building more branches or putting as much emphasis on the physical structures as any financial institution. How do you balance the physical and digital at Chase from the product delivery perspective? Yeah, really good question. And, you know, we get this often and, and, and obviously we've been out there talking about, it's really not, it's not a or thing, it's an and thing. Um, and so, you know, our, we believe very strongly both in the power of digital um, and uh, the power of the branch. And in fact, what we see is that, you know, many of our customers leverage both channels they actually uh, leverage other channels as well, including our contact center and everything else. And so they are, multi-channel. So the opportunity for us is a few things. One um, is to continue to focus on customer centricity, which is absolutely what we're focused on and how Gil and I um, sort of, you know, lay out our philosophy for how we build experiences, you know, for, for customers. So regardless of which channel you interact with, you know, you have a consistent set of experiences um, that are being provided through there. But the other thing is that the, the changing nature of the branch, which I think is really important to keep in mind. Um, which is if you sort of look, even if you take the pandemic as sort of a uh, like a, a shorter time timeline, time um, the amount of uh, of transactions which have you know moved from the teller line um, or the ATM into things like the mobile app for something like you know quick deposit and the ability to ability to deposit a check um, has been significant over over the um, over the uh, over the pandemic. And so you know, and what that means, is actually the story around the branches is less about being a, a place to execute transactions and really more a place to go for advice. Um, and, and this is what, you know, what the branches are providing a significant amount of value um, is that customers want to be able to talk to people, want to be able to talk to a human being about something that's very important to them, um, getting their advice on how should I plan? How should I budget? How do I achieve my goals? How do I build wealth? How do I save? Like these are important conversations that are best, frankly, had with a human being in front of you. Um, and so that's the changing nature of things and, you know, the power of being able to have the digital tools, but then to be able to have that same conversation with somebody who can guide you along the way is what the branch um, is turning into. And I think that's just a very powerful combination. So Gil, I'm going to do a little bit of pivot here and, and ask you a little bit about 
the technology background that you, you have at, at Chase and the way it's been implemented, how do you determine when you have a, a challenge that you're trying to address, how do you determine if a certain technology is going to be a built out of a certain technology internally as opposed to contracting out to a solution provider? Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question um, because we're, we're focused primarily on making sure that we're building products that are solving our customers' pain points. Now, um, there are going to be solutions in the market that solve a problem already that are commoditized. For example, we are in both the private and public cloud, and there's a reason for that. We use technology that's been solved by others so that we can have our engineers, our product teams working on what solves that unmet need for a customer versus building something that already exists in the market. But um, as you can imagine, we also work with a variety of third parties and fintechs all the time. And so it's going to be in various ways, depending on the particular situation that we have. And there will be cases where we recognize that something that we want to build is going to be more um, IP based. And we would like to make sure that we are building that and that we have that uh, wherewithal to control it. Or if it's data and we're protecting that for our customers, we may make decisions on it being something that is internal versus being external. But we look at that each time we are building something to make sure that we're making the right choices um, as we decide whether it's a build or it's a buy or it's a partner. So yeah, we're gonna dig down a little bit more into this and how do you determine whether you're gonna go with the partnership route with an external provider or if you're gonna purchase this technology from the FinTech firms? Because obviously there's been a lot of change in the space in the last 12 and certainly in the 24 months since the pandemic started. But how do you determine the chase? What are the, the, the decision points and how do you approach determining if it's a better for a partnership perspective or better to purchase the technology? Yeah, I, I love the question because we do all of the above, right? So it's one of these things where because we are constantly in the market, um, we do all of those things. So we will partner. We will sometimes also make a strategic investment. We can build our own solution or we will even outright acquire companies. Um, and it does depend on the situation. So there isn't this one rubric that I can say, here, this is what, what we can give. What I can tell you is that the roadmap that we have for our customers hasn't really changed. We are moving to make the, the features, products that we want to offer available where a customer is at any time. A lot of that work does require us to think about things like taking advantage of the cloud, reimagining how we build our software, but also really starting to embrace even more machine learning and artificial intelligence. Why I say that is when we are looking at how we're going to solve a particular problem, let's pick on something like machine learning, there may be some solutions in the market that make more sense for us to use because it's more mature, et cetera, than for us to go and actually um, build ourselves. But it's a dynamic situation because the industry is constantly changing. So we will find that there may be a technology today that is mature, and then we uh, surpass that over time and vice versa. And this is one of the things that I really um, deeply love about uh, working here as well, is that we're thinking about this as we build. So when we're building our, our products, we're building them in a modern cloud-native way. We're focused on building them in what we call microservices, industry standard term. But the way that, that I, I define that is we build in smaller units that are easier for us to build test, deploy, so that when we discover, you know what, maybe we should instead be partnering with this third party, we can replace what we have and use that third party and vice versa without there being a large effort to move forward. So while there isn't necessarily that plan on, we know exactly when we would use a third party or not, we know how we should build our software. So we're doing it in a way that is mature and scalable enough that we can make the decision when we need to. I think there's another angle to this, uh, Jim, just to you know, just emphasize what, what Gil is getting to 
which is that, you know, in some places, you know, they might outsource or they might leverage a whole bunch of, you know, contractors or things to create all that. Um, and we pride ourselves actually on, on honing our craft and building the capabilities um, and sort of owning our destiny, right? You know, Gil, Gil mentioned the, you know, more than 12,000 engineers that we, that we have here. Uh, those are, you know, technologists and engineers who are building and crafting the solutions, you know, that we have for our customers. And where it makes sense, we will certainly partner or acquire, you know, with a partner or a fintech. Um, but, you know, the vast majority of what customers see and touch and interact with every single day is built by, by Chase employees. Um, and it's a point of pride, I would say, uh, for the organization as well. So, so let's take a little break here and recognize the sponsor of the podcast. This show is sponsored by FIS. Have you ever felt frustrated in checking out online or making a payment over the phone? The go-kart team at FIS Impact Lab certainly was, and that's why they created a better payment experience. Go-kart recognizes your email and lets you pay quickly anywhere with no passwords and no long forms. You can pay faster for anything, even things you wouldn't expect like healthcare, professional services, and more. Go-Kart also goes beyond online checkout and allows you to pay easily by email, text, and even with QR codes. If you sell products or services online or in-store, find out how you can use Go-Kart to simplify payments and increase your sales at gocartpay.com slash podcast. FIS, advancing the way the world pays banks and invests. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Rohan Min. Chief Product Officer, and Gil Haas, Chief Information Officer at Chase. We have been discussing the digital transformation journey at Chase and the importance of technology as a competitive weapon for the future and for the development of new products. So before the break, we were talking quite a bit about the, how the data and integration of data insights technology all helped the product process, but we didn't really get too much into the innovation process. Can you each share a little bit about how innovation is really done at Chase. I remember visiting your uh, facility in Columbus and, and seeing the innovation lab at one point was front and center. See, you walked in the front door, they had a, a brand new ATM they were going to introduce. And then there was a glassed in walled area, what we used to call the innovation theater to make everybody feel good and investors feel good. Well, that that doesn't cut it anymore when, when you come to real innovation. How does innovation happen at Chase? Yeah, it's great, Jim, and thanks for the commentary about the uh, the innovation labs and and all that. Obviously, this is a very important topic uh, for us. Um, so first, what I would say is that um, you know going back to the hundred product teams that I was talking about earlier, and the teams that are sort of dedicated around those customer experiences and paying attention to the customer feedback and evolving and iterating, you know, their particular solution. Innovation is their responsibility, uh, and so we find that. The best um, you know, examples of innovation come from people who know the space really well. They see all the problems and they see all the opportunities. Um, and it is their responsibility um, to make sure that they are innovating and providing new ways to solve those problems or breakout ideas to solve uh, a particular pain point that we have uh, for customers. And so we certainly embed that into every single one uh, of the teams that we have. But then, you know, for all of the, you know, all the buzzword tech. That you see out there, you know what's happening with AR, you know augmented reality and virtual reality and blockchain and crypto and you know everything else that's going on. Um, we have you know dedicated teams that are sort of researching those topics, experimenting with things, trying out uh, different concepts, 
uh, and then we'll take those learnings and then figure out the right ways you know, to put them into our, our, our product teams. I think one other point I want to make about innovation is that to me and what we talk about you know, with the organization is that innovation doesn't necessarily always have to be some brand new big idea. Um, that innovation is also, you know, simplification is innovation. Uh, small changes in the customer experience can have outsized impacts and benefits to the customer. And we view that as uh, innovation as well, process efficiencies as innovation. And so um, we don't have a narrow view of it in terms of like brand new big idea. Usually people usually think of those traditional buzzwords that are out there that are getting all the attention, but there's lots of innovation that's happening. That's simplification, efficiency, improvements in the customer experience. And we put all of that under the banner of, of innovation. And our teams are all working on that every single day. You know, that, that's interesting because, you know, account opening is account opening, but the way you open an Apple card in four steps is a whole lot different than the way you open a checking account at most finances just to take 15 minutes. Uh, that is not innovation. It's it's an iter- a continuous iteration to make the process easier for the consumer. And it definitely doesn't take 15 minutes to open an account with us, Jim, just to be clear. So there we go. Much faster. <laughs> we're, we're faster than that, for sure. I, I was going to add on to what, what Rohan said. I think it, it's spot on about innovation. A lot of times people do think about that, which is, are you an innovative company? Can I see your mobile app? And what new features do you have in it? Now, we, we do have great innovative features inside of our mobile app. But also when you think about the 12,000 engineers that we have, we, because of the way we're organized, we are empowering our engineers to improve the way they build software. So when a, an engineer on a team makes it so that when they build their software, it takes 15 minutes less time. Not, not everybody runs around talking about this, but when you have 300 engineers that use that, you can do the math. Those sorts of things are innovations as well. And when we find other ways to take advantage of technologies that may not be those buzzwords, those things have a meaningful impact on our engineering teams. But what you don't see is because we then find ways of doing things more efficiently, a little bit to the process point that Rohan said, now when it comes to let's build that great feature within the mobile app, et cetera, we have more capacity to put toward it. And it's a lot less work for those teams to do when they want to make it happen. And so look at it through that lens as well. Now, do you have KPIs around innovation that may impact employees throughout the organization? I mean, is that part of the overall uh, KPI formatted chase is around innovation? Yeah, so so the way, a couple things. Um, so we use objectives and key results, you know, for all of uh, our product teams. You know, what are the outcomes that the product teams are trying to achieve? Uh, and, and then, you know, the teams talk about how their roadmaps and what they're doing drive to those, those outcomes. And those outcomes could be things like, you know, user growth, user adoption, um, you know, the typical types of things you'd expect to see uh, from an objectives and key results uh, standpoint. The other thing we do, which might be a bit closer to what you're, you're, you're getting at, um, is that when we look at you know, the money that we spend each of the particular product areas, we, we look at the, you know, how much money is being spent um, in a particular area you know, focused on you know, near-term activities and longer-term you know, activities, which might be more of the innovation sort of R&D arena. And so we look for sort of a balanced set of investments you know, that are being made um, by each of the, our teams to make sure they're not only focused on the things that are front and center here and now, the stuff that will benefit the customer in the next you know, 12 months or so, but also things that are a little bit further downstream um, that take a little bit of time to incubate. And so we want to see a balance you know, on the teams in terms of how they invest you know, their resources and their capacity. So that's kind of how we manage that aspect of your of your question, Jim. So, so Gil, you know, 
The elephant in the room is even a firm such as Chase is being impacted by the competitors in the marketplace that are both fintech, big tech, and I'll even call them the big fintechs out there in the marketplace. How does Chase address what's going on in the marketplace? And I, I know you have the capability of throwing money against everything, but the reality is that's not feasible. How do you look at the competitive market set out there when the mindset of the consumer in many cases is being really taken into these new organizations, the, the Chimes, the PayPal's, things of that nature, as well as organizations like, uh, you know, PayPal, I'm, I'm sorry, Amazon and uh, Facebook. You know, how do you, how do you look at competition within Chase? Yeah, but we, we do um, have a wide lens to look and understand what's happening in the industry. Um, we do have, as, as Rohan mentioned, 58 million active and growing uh, digital customers. And so we do have a large base of, of customers that use us and trust us every single day. The way that we think about this is a lot of, and I feel like I'm dropping agile and like the organization a bunch, but I actually think it's just so fundamental to really being able to move, which is as opposed to us having, again, multiple lines of business that are trying to figure out how you provide a solution, which tends to be a bit fragmented, we have a product team, product leader, design leader, tech leader, et cetera, that is myopically focused on making that product better so they understand the customer challenges and needs so they can obsess over that customer experience. What a lot of startups do and a lot of other companies is they also myopically focus on solving that customer problem. And so by us organizing this way, that doesn't mean to imply that we're myopic in general, but I mean for this particular case, these, um, these teams are looking at how do we make that experience equal or better to those competitors. What's exciting about that is when we get it right, and we do often, immediately, Millions upon millions of customers have this opportunity and can, um, can use the, the feature versus a startup that would have to gain traction. Now, that doesn't mean that we always get it right and also it depends on the timing of when we're focused on the particular experiences, which is why you see startups, et cetera, growing as well. But that's how we approach it to make sure that we're not just staying um, relevant, but we're also competing and bringing the, the fight to the, the startups. I think the other part of this too is that there is um, a brand that we bring on. We have, we are here. We have been here. We offer a variety of services, not just for one particular function, but as you grow your financial life, you can, with a chase, stay and adopt and add a new functionality to um, to your life, which is fantastic. And we use the data that we get from our customers to make sure that we are on our customer side. We can see the different activities you're doing. We can make recommendations to our customers, such as we see that you aren't saving. Would you like to auto save? So those sorts of uh, features and functionality that we provide, they are direct competitors in many cases, I think, of course I'm biased, but um, better than the competitors that are out there. And that's how we look to make sure that we are competing with that broad space of, of players in the field. And I think also uh, just a bit more on that um, is, you know, if you look at the ingredients, right? Um, you know, do you have a modernized platform that you're able to build on, you know, rapidly? Check, you know, we have that in many different cases and that is continuing to expand you know, in our, our footprint? Do we have, you know, the, are we organized in the right way to put the customers first and think about how the customer experiences their journey and then make sure we have teams to organize around that um, and who, you know, are focused on improving that customer experience? Check, we've got, you know, teams which are organized, you know, uh, uh, our, our product teams, our design teams, our engineering teams working uh, uh, hand in hand. And so like, those are some of the core ingredients that, you know, we definitely feel we have. Here's two things, Jim, Jim, that I think are sort of differentiators, you know, for us. One is the scale, 
we keep talking about the 58 million people who are on the on the platform but you know for the moment the moment we put a new feature out there it's that many people who are able to see it and so like the impact that we have so quickly uh, when we put new feature and functionality out on on our mobile app is just tremendous and so that scale is incredible that is just a very exciting thing for someone um in my job or in Gil's job to be able to, you know, to do is to be able to have that level of scale and impact. So the distribution power is just significant. The other thing, and Gil touched on it, is the data. We have an incredible amount of data of which we use to provide a better, more personalized experience uh, for customers. You go into the app right now, you can get spending insights and trends that are specific to your financial path in terms of what you specifically are doing. Um, and so like we're able to take all that data and provide a just a much more powerful and personalized experience for customers and we are just at the beginning of that and there's a lot more coming on that front so like i think data and scale are like two big things that other people don't necessarily have and the other ingredients you know strong design strong modern platforms you know less legacy like increasingly that's us too and so uh, you know, we've got a lot to be happy with. You know, it was interesting, Rahan. You 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 cut me off before. You cut me off in my thought process as I was saying, okay, yes, you have this. Yes, you can do this. But as an industry, we've been caught in this whole dynamic of great reports, poor de deployment of insights. And you know, you you talked about it early in the the podcast around. You know, we we have the ability to go beyond security and go beyond risk with regard to AI and machine learning. Most financial institutions aren't even scratching the surface there. In fact, it's it's the part that frustrates me the most as a legacy retail banker to say we have the capability to make the consumer's life so much easier, but we don't. And so it, you you address that a little bit, saying you know this we're scratching the surface, but that's an area of of of, of tremendous emphasis within uh, Chase right now. You know, Rohan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a curveball to you a little bit here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, okay, so I'm gonna do some body snatching of you, and I want you to put you into a smallish, let's say a uh, a community bank, or I'm gonna put you into a mid-sized regional bank. One has obviously more financial wherewithal, some legacy leadership. The other one is probably uh, a lot easier from the standpoint of layers and probably, more, I'm going to assume, more agile. If you were had to be taken out of Chase and I gave you the choice of those two sides organizations, which one do you think today provide you a greater opportunity to make a difference in the marketplace? Uh, it's a great question, Jim. What I would say is, uh, and obviously a little bit tricky question to, 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 to answer, um, but what I would say above all else, regardless of sort of the size of the place and you know, the layers and all, all that sort of thing, is um, you know, one, you know, are, they, are they prepared, are, is the team, is the company, is the firm prepared you know, culturally and mentally to make the changes that are required, you know, to operate in this world where you have to be nimble, you have to be agile. And the, I always tell people like, you know, no one had in their plans at the end of 2019 that there was going to be a global pandemic in 2020. And so like, you know, were you able to pivot and respond very quickly? Um, and that is a lot of it is culture and mindset and a leadership team that needs to um, uh, know that, you know, part of this journey of empowering your product teams is less about you controlling everything centrally um, and you, more about establishing the outcomes and guiding everyone to uh, uh, that. And that to me is the biggest cultural element here above everything else. Like if you've got the buy-in around that strategy, 
to actually run Chase the way that we do in a product uh, you know, driven way with product teams and design teams and uh, engineering teams working together, that, that's a major change in terms of how we rewire the place, how you do planning, how you do strategy, how you do f- finances, how do you do you know, budgeting, all these things. Um, but if people are committed to the outcome of you know, disrupting themselves, committed to the outcome of empowering teams, breaking down the organization into smaller components that can kind of run a little bit more autonomously, the rest of it all will come together. Um, and we need to like, I'll pick the place that has that mindset and culture over anything else, which is what we have here. I, I love the answer. Um, as my team, uh, production team knows, you know, it, culture trumps all. Um, the reality is it doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how big you are. Size doesn't really matter, especially in a world where you can buy components anywhere from a third party. It really takes the commitment of, of, of senior management and the cultural issues that have to be aligned. And I, I think you're exactly right there. So, so Gills, we are getting close to wrapping up this podcast. I'm wondering, what do you see as being the biggest opportunity and technology innovation that you see coming forward in banking in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, no, the, the biggest one. I, I want, the, the answer that people typically would give is gonna be something I think along the lines of machine learning and AI and data and cloud, et cetera. And, and all of these technologies are incredibly important. Like, don't, don't get me wrong, we need to make sure that we are investing in that to, to those technologies. But I think it's lost a little bit, and it actually is tied to Rohan's answer. I was really curious what he was going to, which company he was going to choose. But it, it really comes down to making sure that you are focused on the key engineering practices you have, product practices, and that's actually, in my in my mind, key to delivering on technology. For example, there's a lot of companies that will say we're going to be investing heavily in AI and crypto, et cetera. And they'll buy MacBooks for their engineers, and they have really great stickers and hoodies, et cetera. They'll have an open floor plan with a foosball table. But they aren't going to make the changes that make it so they can actually take advantage of all of those wonderful technologies. The real changes you have to make, and by the way, you should still do the MacBooks and the, the hoodies and things, because so everyone loves hoodies and stickers. But you need to change the way that you hire, the way that you fire, the way you build, test, deploy, manage your application, and also the way that you organize around uh, your product. If you can't do that, you won't be able to compete. And so when, when you ask the question, like, what is the technology change? There are going to be companies that get it and do that. But it's really hard to do, which is something that we have done, which is a testament just to the leadership here and the culture. That's what's going to be the difference between everyone else and those companies that are successful. Is there anything more important than speed, Gil? I mean, really, when it gets down to it, with everything happening so fast, is there anything really isn't everything driven around certainly culture, but as far as speed, getting you know the whole mindset within banking has certainly not been around speed traditionally. But is there much more important things than than speed and simplicity right now? It's, uh, I, speed is important when you have quality and security and predictability. All those things together. The reason why you, you hear Rohan and myself pushing on the modernization is when you modernize how you build your software, you can get the speed and the quality and the security, and that's when you're able to really move well. If you are delivering software that is not quality or not secure, you're only gonna move quickly for a very small period of time, and then you won't be moving quickly. So Rohan, to finish up the the podcast, what trends do you see coming in the near term and midterm? We're we're not gonna take any chance on long-term because we already know that that everything can be thrown out tomorrow when we open the paper, but 
What do you see as the major banking trends in the next 12 months? Yeah, so I think uh, things that you know are, are out there, and I, I love that you're focused on the near term versus you know sort of like these long term uh, uh, things, because honestly, there's so much changing, and the pace of change right now is frankly just incredible, um, incredible. Um, but what I would say is first and foremost, customer experiences that customers love, um, and so great design, great experiences make it easy for the customer to achieve you know, their outcomes, you're, 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 you're going to, at least from us, you're going to continue to see constant evolution in the customer experience and improvements um, with regards to how customers um, interact and, and bank with us. The second thing, and actually Gil alluded to it earlier, um, is sort of an omni-channel experience. And so whether you, you bank with us in the branch, you bank with us in, and in, in, in leverage our contact centers, you bank with us on mobile or online, we want the data and the decisioning engines and all the things that power all those experiences to increasingly, you know, think of you and put you as the customer at the center. Um, and so you're just going to see a lot more in that way as well, in terms of like, you know, making it easy for you to interact with us using the channel that you want to choose. Um, maybe start something in one channel and pick it up in a different channel, as an example. Um, but that omni-channel experience and being customer first and customer centric as we go down that path, I think is going to be another change that you that you see. And the third and fourth things I would say are certainly personalization. You're already starting to see it um, in a material way inside the mobile app. There's a lot more coming on that front um, with regards to personalization, powered by data, powered by machine learning. And so all the things that Gil was talking about in terms of being able to leverage machine learning and all that at scale, you know, that's coming. You're going to see that you know, take form in the, in the form of, of personalization for the customer. And then lastly, um, what I would say is technology um, and product that puts the customer in control um, and allows the customer to make choices around what they want to do. And so you know that we've talked about trust um, and 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 privacy being sort of job one, uh, the uh, you know for us. And it is job one in terms of how we think about building you know capability. But some of the new uh, capabilities that we bring to customers are about putting the customers in control, being able to understand what recurring transactions are happening, being able to understand what third-party um, tools are linking to their bank account and giving them the control to turn things you know, on and off. Like I can go on and on, but the point is, you know, giving customers the ability to control, have transparency and control um, and give them choice, uh, I think is an important element of what you're going to see come through in some of the uh, products uh, that are being built out there. So that's just a few things. There's plenty more, um, but it is absolutely an exciting time you know, to be in this industry and in particular here at Chase, just given our commitment to you know product design, tech, data and analytics, the amount of investment that we're making, the people we have, the talent that we have, it's an incredible opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm going to promise that I'm going to get you both back on, uh, if not before then, at least a year from now, because you know you both talked about making sure it's more than just talk, and it's extraordinarily tough. Where you know I've been meeting with a lot of bankers over the last several months, and and the biggest challenge for them is. I, I, when I get into work in the day, I have great aspirations, but it's hard to keep up with what's going on today, let alone that view forward. We give great sound bites. We talk as an industry about customer first. We talk about digital transformation, automation, AI, machine learning. We, we talk about a lot. Um, even with the most money in the world, it is still hard to implement it where the customer feels it. And you know, it would be great to reflect upon this a year from now to say, okay, what were our hits? 
what were our misses? Because they're not all going to be home runs. I don't care how many people you have. It's still hard to, to guide all those processes. And, you know, I, I appreciate you being on the show today because I, I think what's really been unique to me is that I can tell the difference between organizations that are moving forward and those that are somewhat standing still based on the enthusiasm and the passion for what people do. I often bring up uh, the leader of Varro as being a person that I said, man, you can tell as soon as you got him on the, the podcast, this guy had focus as to what he wanted to accomplish. And I'd get on his bandwagon immediately and say, I want to be on that train. I would say the same about both of you. Um, it, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate the opportunity. Twice. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform. Rate is a top five banking podcast and the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show your love in the form of a review. It helps us continue to get such great guests as we had today. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, advanced technology is best when it improves everyday life, but where you don't really know it's being put in place. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.